Welcome back to another episode of Crossing Broadcast. I am your host, Kyle Pake. Do me a favor. Hit that thumbs up if you're watching on YouTube. Subscribe if you're watching on YouTube. Subscribe if you're on the podcast. It is trade day. There's no need for any beginning, any cool cold openings. Let's just bring on Kevin Kincaid. Let's bring on Bob Wankel. Let's just have some fun. And let's just talk about, you know... John Middleton not being a potted plant and just spending all that cigar money he made on Trey Turner and making this team now into a perennial World Series champion for the next, hopefully, 11 years. Bob, what are the people getting with Trey Turner? I think they're getting a very athletic, top-of-the-order hitter, a difference maker for an offense that I think, uh, you know, that was very top-heavy a year ago. I think that this is a really – a guy that brings a lot of balance. He can hit lefties. He can hit righties. He has some pop. Uh, he's a 300 hitter. I mean, he checks a lot of different boxes for this team. And uh, I actually think we're at a point with the Phillies where it's like, hey, it's another big name free agent signing for the offense. It's, it's almost like become commonplace. Um, I think that in a way, this might be an, an underrated signing, which is crazy. How? I just think after a, a, a stretch where you go out and it starts with Bryce Harper and you go out and get a Kyle Schwarber and you go out and get Nick Castellanos, you it's it hasn't been that long since they've since they've gone out and they've they've added a premier bat. And so uh, I think that this we talked last week about this team can't just simply run it back and hope that good vibes and a top heavy rotation and a bounce back year from Nick Castellanos is going to lead the way. They have to go out and add to remain competitive in this division. And they did that. And I think fans should be really excited. I think that this is a tone setter. I think that that stadium is going to be jumping from game one next year. And it'll be up to them to kind of keep those, you know, those vibes and that momentum going throughout the, the season. I, I think the question on everybody's mind is is this the best opportunity we have for someone to end the David Bell cycle drought? <laughs> yeah, it is. Yes, it All is. Right. Uh, when you look at the ability to drive the ball into the gaps, the speed element, we might have put David Bell on notice, yes. All right. <laughs> Bob, it's like, uh, you know, whenever something big like this happens in baseball, well, I mean, any sport, really, people always say, well, that's a lot of money, but it's not my money, you know, and... <laughs> You know, especially in baseball, there's a salary cap. It's but you're talking about the the tax thresholds and whatever. But seemed to me with the Harper deal and with Trey Turner too, they pushed down the AAV, right? So you have more flexibility on the front end, and like that's the right way to do it, right? Because we're not if they don't win a World Series within five years, we're not really going to give a shit anyway, right? I mean, it's like go top heavy now and 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 work it, and then you know when our kids are 15 years old at the end of Bryce Harper and Trey Turner's contracts, it's not really going to matter anyway. Wait. Everybody do your number at the end of Trey Turner's deal. I'll be 40. Jesus. You don't want to. Yeah. I don't want to reveal. Come that. on. Say it. I'll be 48. Oh my God. Yeah. I'll be 49. <laughs> Man. But it's funny that you say it. You use the, the five year window. I have notes here, you know, some talking points. And I think that what this deal does is you know, I prepare for you, Kyle. I, I come in. I want to try to give the people some informed opinion and analysis. Uh, I, I have this. As, it just signals that the Phillies are for the next five years and maybe beyond that. But for the next five years, while a guy like Bryce Harper is in his prime and Kyle Schwarber is in his prime and Real Muto kind of comes to the end of it, this is a team that is going to do everything it can to try to maximize the opportunity ahead of it. And I think that that's one thing Phillies fans can feel really good about. It's going to be hard. The Braves are outstanding. The Dodgers are aggressive. The Mets are coming for it, but the Phillies are going to do what they can reasonably do to be a player in this thing. They, they want to win a world series. They want to win a world series in 2023. Let me ask you a question. If the Phillies don't go on this run to the World Series and say they went out in the wild card round or they fell sh just short or whatever, does Trey Turner happen? I think so. I, I think that this has been uh, a priority for this team for a very long time, getting a guy that they can plug up the middle that is a premier player. Uh, I think that this has been a need for this team for, for quite some time. I think that Bryce Harper uh, has, has probably had Trey Turner circled for quite some time as a guy that he would like to see added to this mix. And, and don't think for one second that Bryce Harper's input isn't a factor in all of this. Um, so, no, I don't think that the, the World Series run really uh, is what you know, spurred this forward. In a way, had they gotten bounced in the wild card, I almost feel like there would be 
I think fans are really excited, but I almost feel like that fans would feel like, okay, wow, now we can really take the next step forward. It's harder to feel like Mm. you're going to take the next step forward when you've already kind of, you've gotten to the brink, you know, it's, this isn't like a process now it's, we already got there, you know, and now we just got to break through. And so So is is it okay for Phillies fans to be like world series or bust? You think? I, I think that it's okay for Phillies fans to, to say world series contender or bust. You know, like, I guess that's a cop out, but I think that Phillies fans should reasonably expect this team to do a little bit more before opening day. And then if they find themselves in a contending situation come uh, July or, you know, the beginning of August, whenever the trade deadline is this year, I think they should expect this team to then make another aggressive move to try to really make themselves players. What the Phillies proved last year is that you don't need to win the division to reach the World Series, but... I don't know that that's a formula that you want to run back again and again. If you can win the division and go in as a top seed, I still think that that gives you your best chance year in, year out. So, yeah, I think Phillies, what the Phillies have done here is they've, they've sort of recalibrated the expectations. This is a championship contender, and there's no reason to think otherwise right now. You know what my biggest takeaway in all of this is, is that Bryce Harper is like the greatest recruiter of all time, whether whether he's actively recruiting or not, whether he's like actively going after these guys or just his presence on the Phillies was like a like a started this crescendo of like, all right, now these other guys want to come here. It's funny, man. We talk about how many times we talk about it with like the Sixers, you know, like you got to like lure that big free agent here. You got, and like, then other people want to come or some shit, or like, we got to get LeBron. Remember when everybody wanted LeBron for the Sixers, you know, and he's going to bring AD with him and all this, all this stuff. But it was like, it's funny. Cause we talk that they talk about that in basketball all the time, but ever since Harper came here, he pushed for Ray Muto. He, he pushed for Trey Turner. They got Schwarber and Castellanos, which he may or may not have been really involved. I mean, they've had four, stud players that they brought I mean, if Cassianos gets his head out of his ass next year, but they like, seriously, is that not, it's funny. Cause I want to give like Dave Dombrowski credit. We're all doing our like arbitrary rankings. Of, like the greatest GMs in Philadelphia is that Howie Roseman is it Dave Dombrowski, but like really it was John Middleton spending, bringing in Bryce Harper in the first place. Then the cascade effect of like all the guys that came after that. Well, I think there's something to be said too. And you saw the reports that came out today that the Padres offered more money uh, and I know we're talking about Trey Turner and his, his wife has ties to New Jersey and he wants to have spring training in Florida. That's all fine and well. I mean, this guy made an 11 year commitment to essentially finish out his career in Philadelphia, much like Bryce Harper did. And so you don't just have a higher, like, you know how Nick Castellanos at times felt, and it, it's a multi year deal and it's significant, but it almost felt like a higher gun type of situation. When you bring a guy in who agrees to say, like, I'm going to. I'm going to establish myself. What becomes of my career will be dictated upon what happens in this city for a decade. It it doesn't have that higher gun feel. It feels like it's not homegrown and sure as hell aren't paying for a homegrown player at this point, but it feels like this is a guy that really is trying to tie himself and what he is to the city. And, and I think that that matters. And I think that Bryce Harper certainly had input and said that this is a guy that will mesh well with what we have here in this clubhouse. And um, it's not just going out and bringing in talent. It's bringing in a guy that, that is all in for a city. And I think you're getting that here. And it's easy when these things happen. Hey, we went out and got the big shiny piece and everyone feels good about it. And there's a lot of excitement. There's obviously things about this contract that you can worry about. And there'll be a time I'm sure to talk about that and things can go wrong. But if you're a fan and that's, if you're listening to this and you care about the Phillies, you're a fan. And what do you want your ownership to do? You want to go out and you want them to feel like they're doing everything they can to win. And there's just no other way to be right now if you're a Phillies fan than to be excited as, as hell about this. Did you read the Matt Gelb article where um, where they talked about how they sat down with multiple free agents? And one of the things the free agents talked about was like how awesome it was to watch the playoffs in Philadelphia. Like, I thought that was really, really cool. And I feel like that kind of gave the Phillies fans kind of a, uh, a hand in, in some of these signings. Yeah, I mean, like, the whole Phillies fan 2022 run thing was interesting because, you know, how many days did did I go down there and kind of cover it and we just look around the stands and say – and we talked about this so many times throughout the summer. Like, you know, the fans are – they're in, they're watching on TV and you see social media. It seems like there's a lot of – a lot of discussion and discourse, but the fan attendance just isn't that good. And then we talk about all the reasons the attendance isn't that strong and try to figure it out that way. But it was a little bit underwhelming. I'm sure as a player, being a, a 2022 Philadelphia Philly at times, you were probably like, yo, we're in wild card position right now. There's not that many people here. 
Mm-hmm. But man, did that switch flip? And like when Philadelphia has a winner and there's just there's a song or there's a moment or there's something you can rally behind, there's it's just unrivaled what this yeah. city can do. And I know that those players felt that in October. I mean, that was real. You know, there was a little bit of pandering, I'm sure, but that was real, that energy, and they fed off of that. Who uh I'm I'm interested in this. I think Kev, you'll have a good perspective on this. You know, you're gonna see this from an Eagles perspective and from a Flyers perspective and from a Sixers perspective, you know, you'd probably go, if I had to rank them, I'd go Howie, I'd go Dave, I'd go Maury, and then I'd go Chuck Fletcher, and I'd probably throw Ernst Tanner if you want to do five for five. I'd probably throw him in the in the two or three there. Is that okay, Kev? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's like a clump at the top. Yeah. Like Howie Roseman and Dave Dombrowski have both done an awesome job, and Ernst got his team to a title game, so. I think this is going to be a really interesting effect on Sixers fans because now, you know, this is the first time I remember in a while that after last night's loss, people were like, you know what? I'm just keeping this team. And me and Kevin have talked about this. I was keeping this team at an arm's length. And I feel like a lot more people are keeping this team at an arm's length because, you know, you see what they have right now. Now, I don't want to freak out. You know, Maxie's still out. It's a loss in December. You know, everyone knows the NBA uh, season doesn't start until Christmas. But I wonder how long the leash with Maury will be on all, with, with, with Sixers fans after they start seeing, you know, the Eagles potentially going to the Super Bowl. You know, uh, we go back to the World Series with the Phillies, and then you have this whole process we just went through, and they just have never been able to put it together. Yeah, I think that the difference for the Sixers at this point, it was the journey was fun for a while. Like the if if when they tore it down and you went through the process, it was. I believe that one day this is going to pay off. And so you were willing to deal with that. And then when they started to play a little bit better, you're like, I feel like they're going in the right direction. So you could deal with the ups and downs because there was a real belief that it was headed somewhere that, that you were really, that, that it was going to get to where you wanted it to go. And that feeling is kind of gone right now. Like when you watch the Eagles, yes, they're 11 and one, and this has got like a super bowl or bust vibe about it, but you can enjoy the journey to the destination. And with the Phillies, even though they, They've already been to the World Series here, and it's going to feel like they're taking a step backwards if they don't get there again next year. I think that the Phillies are still fresh and fun enough where you can enjoy the journey. You and you have a plan. Yeah, a plan. yeah it's, it's funny. Yeah, I mean, the Sixers are, like, exhausting, and they play, like, a slow and plodding style of play. Too. I mean, at least when Brett Brown was there, they played this, this motion offense where they were flinging the ball all over the, the court, and Ben Simmons was making crazy passes. So now you just watch Joel Embiid post or James Harden you know, fucking ISO or pick and roll or whatever. But I think the thing with the Phillies, which is interesting, is like we talk about how the NFL like dominates the offseason. You know, they have like the Super Bowl and then they have like the Pro Bowl and then they have like, you know, free agency, they have the draft. And so we're talking about football the entire time during the offseason. Like baseball falls off pretty hard because it's such a like long and kind of weird, you know, free agency period and whatnot. And then you have the winter meetings where you get some stuff. Scott Boris sits his dumb ass down at the table and everybody flocks around him, you know, but, but, until you get pitchers and catchers report, there's not a, there's not a, like, it's hard to like keep that juice, especially when you're in a convoluted time of the winter where there's a lot of other sports going on. Mm-hmm. It's not like you only have baseball and like for the soccer people in the summer where you can talk about the Eagles and WIP nonstop. But, you know, I, I it's funny because I don't think that I, I say all that and I don't think it matters because I think once pitchers and catchers comes around, like people are going to just get a flick the switch and they're going to be ready for it, you know? Well, what's almost refreshing about this, and there's more work for the Phillies to do, and there's going to be more signings. They'll probably add a pitcher, what caliber, who knows. But they did this deal on December 5th. They yeah. did it three weeks before Christmas. It And last year, obviously, the lockout, the situation necessitated that those deals got done right up against spring training. Yeah. But this year, you have this three-week run-up to Christmas. Like, Don't overlook the fact that you're going to sell a lot of Trey Turner merchandise yeah. the next few weeks. Yeah. People are out buying gifts. Hey, Phillies tickets, that sounds like a pretty good deal right now, right? Like, yeah. I, I just think that it's, it's refreshing that the Phillies know what they have. They're, they're not waiting on an answer that's going to make or break their entire offseason. I think it gives them a little bit more flexibility to kind of, a, a, you know, evaluate where they're at now as they progress. So I think that's the upside of doing this deal so early as well. My buddy's getting married. Guess where we're going? We're going to for the bachelor party. Clearwater. CBP. We're going to Clearwater for the bachelor party. So you'll find me out in the uh, the left field bar all yeah. the whole the whole time out there. Late no, 
it's a, it's a good time. It's if oh. you've never done it, especially it's like a it's a bucket list item for the Philadelphia sports fan. Before we get you out of here, what do you make of the Verlander signing with the Mets? What do you think of Degrom leaving for the Rangers? Yeah, I, I almost feel like it's uh, interchangeable. Like, I know people want to write off Verlander, but he didn't because he wasn't great in the World Series, and he's he's getting older. And I, I think that there's only a handful of teams that are willing to take the risk on an older player like that, even though he's coming off of a, a Cy Young year. Um, they they had to do it once Degrom leaves they're in win now mood, you know, and, and to be able to pair Verlander and Scherzer together, it's, you do it because you have to do it. But I will tell you, the, those guys are going to miss time at different points throughout the season. Now they're good enough that it might not matter. You know, Hey guys make 20 starts for us a piece. And then we'll talk to you in October. And maybe that's enough. I get why they did it. They had to do it. It's a good signing. If I were a Mets fan, I'd probably be excited about it, but. I don't know, man. I, I, after last year, I finally bought into the Mets. I did last year. I, I said, yeah, I, I did too. I finally took them seriously. And then they, then they lost to the wild card rounds. Like, well, same yeah. old Mets. Mets are, where the Mets are right now for me, where it's like, talk to me at the end, like get, talk to me in the playoffs. Otherwise I don't want to hear about it. Spend your money, do your thing. I don't care. And that's the way I view the Mets right now. Uh, this came from Nick Sturz in the chat. Who do you think is the Phillies top pitching target? Uh, you heard Dave Dombrowski talk yesterday about uh, not wanting to uh, go after another free agent that received a qualifying offer uh, with, you know, where it's going to be attached to draft pick compensation. I, I know that the name, uh, you know, uh, Jameson Italian has been floated out there. I, I know there's a lot of Carlos Redone people out there. Like, I don't see that happening. I don't, I don't see. Even though his uh, wife is just liking everything. Like, no I film. mean, hell, you know what? Maybe, you know, if he wants to come at a discount, but I think he's looking at, at 25 a year plus, And I just don't think that fits where yeah. the Phillies are going to be at here at this point. So I don't really have a specific name for you. I would just say you, you probably are looking at a guy that, that slots in as like a number four type guy. And you hope one of your young arms can come in and fill out that rotation. And then I think you kind of see where you're at. You know, I think that this year is a year where you get to the deadline. And if you're in pretty good position and you're not in love with your rotation, that's where you go after a difference maker that you can put at the top. I really felt like we talk about the offense so much and how it faltered down the stretch in the World Series. And, and I get it. But, man, like being able to run out a legitimate number four starter in a series like that, I think is so important. And the Phillies just didn't have that last year. All right, Kev, you got anything else for Bob? No, legitimate number four starter made me think of Christian Javier and then I had post-traumatic stress disorder. So. <laughs> I was thinking of Joe Blanton. Yeah. Wow. yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, Bob. Oh. Hey, shout out to you, by the way. Absolutely blew the doors off the Titans-Eagles analysis last week. If anyone listened to that on Thursday, caught it, yeah. right? Caught it. Caught it perfectly. Yeah, you'll have me back Thursday to try to do it again with the Giants, and it's it's gonna be it's gonna be a bomb. So no, we don't so. need you for the Giants because we got James Cratch coming on right after. Oh, you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Bob. All right, guys. All right, man. All right, can we bring James in? Yeah, let's bring him in. There James, hey. from our sister site, oh, our stepsister site, our I don't know, uh, sister by blood, once removed site, ESNY, <laughs> James Cratch. How you doing, buddy? Welcome to I am the great. podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Glad to finally be here. Yeah, I mean, so I actually, you know, I want your perspective on something because you're obviously, you you write all about New York sports, the Jets, obviously mm-hmm. the Giants. You see the ESPN graphic of the football predicted index or whatever the hell it's called, and it's got 50% chance that the Cowboys are making the Super Bowl, 31% chance that they actually win the Super Bowl, the highest odds in the NFL right now, I kind of want to see what your, your perspective on uh, being an outside fan with like what you think about the Eagles and then what you think about also the Cowboys and who you think would be, you know, the favorite coming out of the NFC East. I would say it's the Eagles. I think the, the complicating thing for both of those teams, I actually thinking about this earlier today is whoever wins the division, let's just presume the Eagles win the division. They get the first round by, they're probably playing a divisional round game against the Cowboys yeah. Another NFC East team or Tom Brady and the Bucks. Not exactly like a great draw. You know, there's all the debate about whether you want to have the bye or not. And then you've got to deal with that. Whereas you're the Minnesota Vikings, you might be playing, you know, the Commanders and then get something kind of cheap. You know, you might get the Seahawks or the the Niners who have Brock Purdy. So I saw that graphic. I will say this like I 
I know some of the people, ESPN analytics people, like they, they really do a good job. I thought it was definitely a wonky uh, data result to spit out, but I don't think the NFC East champion is necessarily in the greatest spot to go to the Super Bowl. Okay. Yeah. yeah, that's pretty fair. It's just funny, man, because we don't I don't know. We we don't have a good perspective of it because, of course, we think that like everybody's just shitting on the Eagles to shit on them. You know, it's like nobody likes us. Yeah. We don't care. You know, the whole disrespect thing. Right. But I don't know, man. It's hard to say because like if the, the, the Eagles played the Cowboys earlier in the year, Cooper Rush was in there. People use that as their excuse. But then there was these were the same people are saying, well, Cooper Rush won like three games in a row or something. You know? So So I don't. Let's see, that's why I would come to you because, like, you know, if 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 we threw out the records and we just threw out the head-to-head that happened earlier this year and you put the Cowboys and the Eagles and the Giants in a vacuum right mm-hmm. now, like, what would the outcome of that? You play, like, a round robin between all that, all those teams. Like, in a vacuum right now, which team do you think is the best out of those three? I would say the Eagles. I think the Giants are, like, a clear third. The Giants are not very good. They might make the playoffs because of the start they had. And they're going to get, you know, things are kind of shaking out for them down the stretch. Although I think they're going to pick up some losses still. But, yeah, it's it's definitely the Eagles. And I would say the Cowboys are right there. I think it's a great game. Like, we're going to see it in a couple of weeks. And yeah. we're probably going to see it a third time uh, in, in the playoffs. And then I would say the Commanders, are I think, are better than the Giants. Really? Yeah, uh, yeah I expect the Commanders to win in two weeks. Um, actually, I know there's a lot of talk, you know, Coach of the Year, Dable, so if, if the commanders make the playoffs with Taylor Heineke, Ron Rivera is no doubt. <laughs> well, the Carson, a, Wentz and the Carson Wentz shit here would be, would be insufferable there, too. No, there is a, there is a coach right now sitting at 11 and one who nobody believed in, who was a bumbling idiot coming out of his press conference. Who's 20 and nine in his career, who hasn't lost since he's lost one time since last December. Yeah. yeah. That's the coach of the year right there. Don't what's the harder? What's the harder is it harder to win with AJ Brown and Devontae Smith and Miles Sanders or with this Taylor, coach. Taylor Heineken? He made the playoffs last year, and then Howie has his Howie offseason. And now, like Ron Rivera, like the the team is literally a toxic waste dump. Like the team's have, good. Like, I have to organize the scandals each week. how many scandals they have going on and he's gonna make the playoffs with this guy who was in the xfl or whatever that is not my fault that is not my fault that they have one of the worst owners and one of the worst gms and they're putting up like uh small wireframe sean taylor statues and just continuing to do terrible terrible memorials of 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 sean taylor mike mcdaniel is on line one and two but he could have used that uh that win against the uh won like eight straight games last season so he he inherited nothing. James, what's the like? It's my outside perspective on the Giants is that they just they're ahead of schedule. I think they have really good coaching, and the GM, you know, is obviously a huge upgrade, right? And I think, uh, you know, the offensive coordinators is doing a great job, obviously. But I, I think it's like they're, they're they're doing that despite of the talent. Like they're making it work with the talent. You know, they have to scheme a lot of stuff. They're doing a lot of like crazy stuff on offense. It works, but mm-hmm. they almost have to like overdo it because they just don't have the talent that everybody else has. I mean, is that, is that how people look at it up there? Is there a different perspective? I definitely think so. Dave Bull's been tremendous. Like the coaching is incredible. He is the best coach they've had in a long time by far. I think that's very obvious. People love Joe Shane. Like I'm not a hundred, I'm not as sold on Shane as Dave Bull just because what everything he's kind of done so far has been pretty easy, you know, to, yeah two relatively easy draft picks to make. You cut a bunch of guys, you fire Chris Mara, you, you, you know, get rid of him. You, know, you yeah. get rid of all the, the these are like obvious guys. moves. So it's easy. It's easy to go. From, moves. Yeah. Now, it's easy to go from shitty to, to good. It's hard to go from, from good to great. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I thought he's people forget like the James Bradbury thing was not really handled. Well, this whole idea that they're going to hold James Bradbury hostage for months. Um, Thanks for that. You know, exactly. Uh, you know, I, I don't think it'll happen, but like the they've the fact they've entertained the Odell nonsense this long to me is a little bit of a red flag. Um, I don't think they'll sign Odell. They'd be insane to do it. But I, I still want to see what Shane does this coming offseason when he has cap space, when he has to go find a quarterback in all likelihood, um, so- when he has to figure out what to do with Saquon. So I definitely – it's a great start for him. I'm not sold on him yet, but Dable, I think, is the guy. 
Here's the question, because Daniel Jones is like, I don't know. Daniel Jones is my uh, backup quarterback in fantasy. Not that anybody gives a shit about my fantasy team. He's done okay for me this year, but like, I don't, I don't, from an outside perspective, like, I certainly, I don't see Daniel Jones being the quarterback of the future for the Giants. Does anybody up there see it, see it differently? It Earlier in the year, I think people were like, oh yeah, like this is gonna, like, my approach has always been, if you look at the way the Giants prepare for this season, you know, the whole thing about Odell and they need a receiver help. Well, we knew the Giants receivers were horrible in, in March and April and May in training camp. Like they never made a move to get a receiver. Um, go back to the trade deadline, even like Brandon Cooks was basically available for free. If you would take on his contract, Cooks is a year younger than Odell. He's been more durable. He's played a bunch of places, been an impact player, didn't even go near him. So I've always operated my personal belief. This is just my belief, like no, no reporting or anything is that they basically decided that they were done with Daniel Jones a long time ago. And they're just kind of going through the motions. If he hadn't, if the team hadn't played as well, if he hadn't played as well, yeah, maybe they probably would have gone to Tyrod Taylor at some point. But I think my guess is that when this season ends, maybe they make him a short, you know, one or two year offer. And if he won't take that because there probably will be a, a market for him. The market might start with the Jets. They'll say, okay, fine, like move on. And then they'll draft someone. They'll get involved in the free agents that might be available. Maybe they just slap it together with Tyrod Taylor for a year and see what happens. They, yeah. they save Tyrod Taylor a two-year deal this offseason. You don't sign a real, one of the best three or four backups in the NFL to a two-year deal with that type of guaranteed money when you're supposed to suck unless you have a plan that takes it beyond that year. Do, does like the media and like well not really the media but do the fans like up in uh, up in New York Giants fans are they like kind of upset that they're they're sitting at seven four and one right now and they kind of wish they you know they had an opportunity at CJ Stroud or or Bryce Young or you know maybe even slap together Jimmy G or I don't know yeah Brady or Rogers next year or something like that like are they are they upset that they're not picking higher No I don't think so just because they've been so starved I mean this team has been atrocious since the the second Super Bowl with Eli. I mean, they really have been bad. Like they had the 2016 playoff year with McAdoo when I was on the beat, which in hindsight was just kind of fool's gold. Like it was just a bunch of guys who got paid and had a career years, slapped it together. And then they the Miami boat year. That was the boat year. The <laughs> boat year. <laughs> yeah. Odell yeah. with the Tims on the boat. Oh, I love that. Um, <laughs> greatest. One of the most ridiculous things ever. Um, I never thought I would be sitting Tavares King, who was like a fifth or sixth receiver on that team that year had a touchdown catch actually in the, the playoff game against the Packers. And like, he caught the touchdown pass and like some guy tweeted like, yo, that's what happens when you don't go on the boat. And I, I forget who it was. They <laughs> songs or something. whoever was with them on the boat was like, well, he was on the boat. He just was getting food when we took the picture. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There was a guy, another guy in the Giants, who I'm not going to name, who like for 10 minutes on Baggy Day was adamant to me. He's like, I want you to know Tavares was not on the boat. Just, just <laughs> trying to stick up for his teammate. Just letting you know. Trying to stick up for his teammate. Jesus Christ. Um, Kev, are you worried about uh, James's team's shitty turf taking over the game this weekend and ruining the Eagle season? Because I kind of am. I, you know I, how, you know I, how, I hate Sorry, sorry to cut you off. You know how yeah. Jalen does that step? He he fakes one way steps that hard plant yeah the hard plant yeah no hard plants this week no hard plants. no that's like an ACL waiting to go or something exactly like that. yeah yeah I I hate all forms of turf as that has been well documented I play <clears throat> I play a pickup game on uh, Friday afternoon sometimes down at uh, YSC and King of Prussia and uh, get my knees and back are like shot for thirty six hours you know I'm like a thirty eight year old casual you know so I like I wonder I'm like man what's it like to be an NFL player and have to have to do that for <laughs> for an entire yeah. yeah James do you know how good you have a home field advantage playing on that turf <laughs> Sterling Shepard Odell I can think of a bunch of injuries the Giants and Jets have had on that turf it to me is like is so astonishing that, and it's like i don't know if you guys watch but like people say like, why they did this if you guys watch like the ryan reynolds rob mckellar like welcome to wrexham mm-hmm. like there's a there's like a scene where like they put in a new pitch and it like the grass didn't grow mm-hmm. and they're like telling them well, how much is it going to cost to resod and they're like 
500,000 pounds. Like, that's the issue. It's the Giants and the Jets, these billion-dollar operations in MetLife Stadium. They're like, well, we don't want to drop $2 million to get a new field. So we'll just have guys just get hurt. That's insane to me. That's like opportunity cost. We're like, hey, Odell's going to tear his ACL, but we could have just – so now we're going to lose out on 10 millions of dollars. Instead, we could have put $2 million of turf down, and we could be a real functioning franchise. Hey, and they- and you know what they need – they need grass and they need a retractable roof. Every your take has to be expanded to to retractable roofs everywhere and grass everywhere. I don't know how you make that. Yeah, work. where are you on the retractable roofs here, uh, James? <laughs> so, look, I, I'm a I'm a football guy. I like grass. I like the elements. However, when you look at you know obviously Dallas and and Minneapolis to extent and, and SoFi Stadium in LA, when when the Commanders get sold. Like the, the new owner literally will finalize taking control. And like the next day, the city, Washington, D.C. will be like, here's the RFK lot. Like it's yours. And they will build some space station. We'll have a retractable roof and it'll host the Final Four, Super Bowl, WrestleMania, like every mm-hmm. other year. Mm-hmm. And eventually, I think East Rutherford, the, the greater metropolitan area, and Philadelphia will realize we should really have one of these things too, because they print money. They do. Yeah. So, and people people forget that retractable means it can come off. Like they hear off. roof, yeah. and they're like, "No, like I don't want to play in a dome." And I'm like, "I promise you, yeah. the retractable roof will retract back to where it was originally at, and then you can have WrestleMania in the open." But God forbid WrestleMania comes and it's raining or lightning, and now you bought tickets for WrestleMania, you're shit out of luck, and you got a flight the next day you got to catch. Like that happened with uh with the <laughs> Phillies game. The Phillies yeah. game lined yeah. up. With the Texans yeah. Thursday night football game, a lot of people wanted to go to the Phillies game. Then they wanted to go out to Houston for the Texans game. Yeah. But since game three got rained out, it got pushed back a day and it just completely screwed everybody's schedule up. Yeah, that's a good yeah. take, man. I think your take is sound. I, you know, you you can be uh, you can handle all further engineering stories at crossing crossing broad. You think you went to Drexel and not Temple with with your uh, retractable, retractable roof knowledge. Sorry, Jay, I, I didn't do, mean to cut you off. No, I was going to say, I, I do think, you know, the the lease at MetLife has these like windows where like, I think like 2025 is the first one. And then like 2030, uh, the giants or the jets can get out. Yeah. Is, aren't they thinking about going to Queens or something or some, so, some congressman wants to bring them to Queens. Yes, there's some, congressman wants to bring them to uh, state re- legislator wants to bring them to Queens. There's been this like periodic, like every like six to eight months, like there's been this drip, drip, drip idea Never like from like a firm place like Craig Carton or like Mike Francesa most recently that the Johnsons want to sell the Jets. They're going to get a cash out, you know, and then like the idea that I guess Woody tried to buy Chelsea. And I think the idea would be that if they could time it up, they would if they were to sell the Jets, they would sell the Jets at a window of time where the new owner could then build, bring the Jets back to the city and build somewhere. You know, obviously the. Post 9-11, there was the idea for the Manhattan Stadium. That didn't happen. Westside Stadium, I think now that could be in Queens. You know, you're going to have a casino there. The Obviously, NYCFC is going there. So I think that that's going to linger. And it would be really interesting to see what happens if the Jets, whoever the owner is, were to move back to New York, build this sort of retractable roof state-of-the-art arena. Because MetLife Stadium is a concrete air conditioner. It is the like FedEx Field is the worst stadium in America. Oakland Coliseum would be second worst. Then I would put MetLife Stadium. It is like the most soulless, sterile it's, place to go. It is so funny you say that because it was it was built in what twenty. 20- I was in school when it was built. I want to say it was built in like open in like I want to say twenty two thousand and eight or nine. Or nine. I, I think I can't remember if the Giants last season there was the was the. It, it opened in 2010. Opened in 2010. 2010. So I, yeah. I went to the Eagles Jets game last year, and I could not believe it's just this concrete slab in the middle of a parking lot. And not that we don't have a slab of of concrete in you know the middle of a parking lot yeah. in South Philadelphia, but we at least have like iron and steel beams looking thing that like is a facade on the outside of it. it you just have a humongous coliseum of concrete. Yeah, it's because the two teams couldn't agree on anything. You know, it's like I think. Someone I remember someone saying like the Jets want to have like there's like glass windows all around the base and yeah. the Giants are like no and they would fight over you know the locker rooms and where the signage is you know I mean 
it it just wasn't well thought out. The time has come for the two teams probably to go their own separate ways. But do you think they ever would, or would they would they fight that in New York? I don't. I don't think. I think the fans want it. I think the problem the Jets have is they've invested so much money in the Florham Park facility. So if the because it used to be like the the Jets would have their facilities in Hofstra and they would play it. Giant stadiums. I remember like talking to Jumbo Elliott to play for the Giants and the Jets. He's like, Well, when I played home games with the Jets, like I'd play this game, be a left tackle, and I'd have to like climb into a car and drive three hours in traffic. Because Hofstra's on Long Island, isn't it? Hofstra's on Long Island. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, So, like, you play a home game. Yeah. You're beat to shit. You just played an NFL game. Go drive three hours home to Long Island. You know what's a shame here is like, really, if you think about it, when the World Cup comes here in 2026, New York should host the final. Right. But there's no uh, I don't think that's that's I mean, it should be obvious, but it's not obvious because of the stadium situation and the surface and whatnot. I know we're a long way away from it, mm-hmm. but they played the 1994 final in Los Angeles. Right. Like Rose Bowl. Right. Like grass. And so no issue there. I mean, New York should be angling to have yes. the biggest uh, event in, in the world and, ha- and have the final of the biggest event in the world. Though. Like that should be the yeah. target, you know. It should. I don't know. What else, I don't know I, what. I don't know where else you would go. I mean, like, uh, yeah, you go to, you go to like Miami for Hard Rock. You go to no. Philly. You go to DC's new stadium if they get it. Yeah, DC it's, didn't even get it. They didn't. They're not even a city. Yeah, yeah. To oh. me, the issue yeah. is not the is not the turf. Like they can put grass and they'll figure that out. The issue to me is, I I was at the WrestleMania MetLife had, and I spent like it was mayhem. Like NJ Transit. Mm-hmm. malfunction greatly and i actually think that in a way wrestlemania is a kind of a, a good comparison to what a world cup would be because a you can't leave wrestlemania until the end like you can leave a giants game in the fourth quarter when 10 minutes left when it's when the giants are down by two scores you can't leave wrestlemania no one's leaving a world cup final until the end mm-hmm. b you have people who come here from all over the world who i literally think there were people from like London and Dublin who came to WrestleMania who did not understand WrestleMania was not going on in New York city until like a couple hours where they actually had to go to the event because all the world cup side programming will be in Manhattan. Yeah. You know, they don't ever have like, you know, fan fest in Munaki. They have it in, you know, the Times square. So I, yeah. Even with these people, and then like when NJ Transit melts down, and and they start telling people, "Oh, we're we're gonna cross honor on the path," like some guy who's here from Bristol, England, doesn't know what the path is. <laughs> You're yeah. speaking a different language, him. So I think the transportation is the biggest issue. So, yeah. and I think that if it doesn't go to to MetLife New York, it's gonna go to Philly because you can't have it in Foxborough. I mean, that would be a total nightmare. I think after that, you really running out of new like northeastern places you have to have in the northeast you can't take because i don't think i don't think chicago was one of the cities i mean it yeah dc didn't get it yeah i mean because they tried to combine the bid with dc because they thought the stadium or they tried to come dc i think tried to combine with baltimore baltimore because fedex is such a dumb because fedex was so shitty yeah and it's not like toronto has like an eighty thousand seat stadium you can host this in like you couldn't have it in skydome or they could do it in Mexico City, but I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how they – like, my understanding is that they would probably do, like, one semifinal in Canada, one semifinal in Mexico, and then maybe, like, the biggest city in the United States hosts the final. Like, they could do it. They could yeah. play it at the Azteca or something, but I don't I don't know. It's 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 fascinating to me. Let me ask you this, James. It's funny because, you know, when when I was growing up, like, the Eagles-Cowboys for – for Eagles fans, like, the Cowboys were the biggest rival. Everybody hated Troy Aikman and, you know, all those dudes, right? Um but you ask younger generations of Eagles fans, they don't really care about the Cowboys so much because they were they were not good when they were growing up. You know what I mean? Like, but the team that was good was the Giants. You know, so the people who are like younger, like in their twenties now or whatever, they remember you know Eli's two Super Bowls and them being good. And so for for some Eagles fans, like the Giants are public enemy number one. Um, I'm just like wondering what your perspective isn't that like is do giants fans who who do giants fans see as their biggest rival i think it'll always be the cowboys just because there are so many cowboys fans in you know new jersey northern new jersey new york i think that's plays a big role in it um just because you know the giants fan base is very like you know 
New York City, northern New Jersey centric. And the, the Jets fan base is more kind of city, Long Island area. Um, you know, the Eagles, yes and no. But like, I, I always go back to, I remember writing this one time. Like, if you were to say, like, who was Eli Manning's like quarterback rival, it, it was Tony Romo, you know, and they beat the Cowboys uh, during the first Super Bowl run. Um, you know, that, the Eagles have always been kind of a tormentor for the Giants. I mean, I think, you know, when I was growing up in New Jersey and like the Eagles beat them in the playoffs, you know, a couple times, you know, the Eagles were usually much better than the Giants when I was a kid. So I would say it's still the Cowboys. I think the old school fan, it's Washington, because that's kind of like, you know, one of the ancient NFL rivalries. But I would say it's probably the Cowboys, but the Eagles are a close second. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't know. I just, maybe it's coming around a little bit more now because the Cowboys are good this year mm-hmm. but but yeah I mean it just wasn't a I don't know you remember Pagan like it wasn't a thing for a while you know because it's like who, who are you going to be angry at like I think we I think I just hated Eli's stupid face and I hated the whole like Manning thing and like the number one overall pick and then the way he like kind of spurned the Chargers and everything he just seemed like you know daddy's little boy and everything and I remember when he first started uh one of those most memorable sacks I think like basically nobody blocked on the on the Giants offensive line and like eight guys surrounded Eli and it was just like we were just going to put Eli in the ground we were going to ruin his career and of course when he was successful and he won two Super Bowls that made you just hate him even more like who are we going to hate Drew Henson Quincy Carter uh Tony Romo like fumbling yeah 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 like we just never had anyone enough to hate I mean it was just a role it was just a revolving door of coaches a revolving door of quarterbacks um, then T.O. goes over to to the Cowboys and stuff, and that just added fuel to the fire. Yeah. But still, it always just felt with me, the the Giants, because they were just successful. And, and I think, you know, Cowboys were little brother for a little bit. No, that makes sense. I, I would say it goes back and forth, but I just feel like the, the the Giants have more of a kind of an older fan base, and I think the Cowboys are a little bit more ingrained there just because you go back to the Barcelona, Cowboys were, were there too. Yeah. Um, James, you heard Bob talking earlier about, uh, you know, the Mets and, and Verlander and whatnot. I mean, what's what's the, what's what's the thought on on the season that they just had and the NL East and, you know, Verlander coming in and DeGrom departing? I, I think people were disappointed with how the season. I mean, the Mets had this tremendous magical season that kind of just completely fell apart. Right. Um, at the end, between you know losing the division of the Braves and losing the Padres in the wild card round, I think a lot of people were like, to a lot of people here, like Degrom was like was like God. So I think like you know he was like a Tom Seaver level icon to a lot of the younger portions of the fan base. So I think it was a tough blow, but you know bringing Verlander in is a pretty uh, pretty good consolation prize. And I think that you know Degrom was always very even keeled, didn't have emotion like. Verlander and Scherzer are like two like wild animals basically out there. Like I think it's gonna be fascinating to see these two type A personalities who are just crazy men pitching. Yeah. And you know, Bob's right, they're both probably gonna miss time. They're they're up there in age, you know, they're they're but they're as close as you get to like a workhorse in modern day baseball. So I think that's gonna be fun too. I think the Mets are kind of threading this needle of their hip. And they're exciting and, and they're appealing to a younger fan base. A big part of that is you actually can watch the Mets, whereas like you have to take out a second mortgage to get a cable, one cable package to watch the Yankees on Yes Network. But they're still kind of old school with Buck. And now, you know, Alonzo's kind of an old school, you know, looks like he should be in your beer league. I fucking hate that guy. Type of guy. And 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 obviously Vogelbach, you know, it's just it looks like the trumpets. Do you love the, the trumpets? trumpets? And now, the trumpets just the coolest got, thing ever. You know when they were playing it when they were yeah. down four in Game Three of the Wild Card. <laughs> after he comes in, that was awesome. Uh, by That's the way, cool. little little bit of uh, Mets news here. Not really Mets news, but Padres offer to Trey Turner was for more than the Lindor three hundred forty one million dollar deal. Dude, can through. you plug that into your Forbes calculator to see how? Yeah. Much so my Forbes, my pack. Forbes advisor calculator, I had it around three fifty to three sixty to kind of offset the California income tax. Yeah. That would have got in uh, Trey around uh, keeping one seven one hundred seventy four million, where he can keep one hundred seventy nine million in in Pennsylvania with all the income taxes mm-hmm. for anyone out there 
who's wondering on that one. So I, I think I think roughly 350 to 360 is what they probably offered Trey Turner. And he said, absolutely not, because he wants to beat the Mets and he wants to beat the Braves and he wants to take the Phillies to the promised land. And you just got to love that. You got to love that kind of, uh, uh, you know, player attitude. The, the thing is, like, there are like these, like a guy like Boris, like he has tax guys who are literally like running. Because I know like talking to me, like they run all these crazy numbers. Like I remember one guy, apparently like the tax guy is like, well, like, you'd pay less in taxes to go here. But if we could get, there's like a realist, there's some sort of like land law in this state. So your wife loves horses. <laughs> like we'll get them to buy you a horse farm and it'll like, you'll end up making more in the end. It was something like bizarre yeah. like that. Yeah. I would love to hear these stories. I was yeah. hearing some, I was hearing some, uh, some NIL stories. I think it was uh Jordan Palmer. I just was watching a TikTok. He was saying that people would, give their family landscaping contracts the city would give their landscaping contracts they don't have a, a lawnmower or anything just to hide and hide the money then there was one that was awesome they would all go into a poker room and everyone would raise 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 and then the river would come and all the boosters would flop and it would go to the uh it would it, the winnings would go to the, the recruiter whoever was in there for the recruit and they would just cash out of their like party poker uh, account that's awesome Crazy man, I could go yeah, on and on about that, that for, for yeah. I mean, there's probably so many ridiculous stories. That's a, that's like, how do you end up with that job though? How do you end up being Scott Boris's tax guy, you know, tax loophole guy? Yeah. Usually, if you're a booster, and I've only gotten this information from Friday Night Lights, watching about six episodes, you just own a car dealership in like Katy, Texas, <laughs> and you just you funnel you funnel money through there. The old Eric Dickerson model. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have a place car. in South. You have a car wash in South Lake, Texas, where. Uh, <laughs> Nick Foles uh, is from, and the guy, and the guy who was in the Titans box that the Eagles fans flipped off the uh, the other the other yeah, guy. The, the, the retired the way, uh, Titans uh, fired GM John Robinson two like, weeks uh, before Christmas. The yeah. Eagles ruined John Robinson's holiday. Yeah, I may have to log off here and write that story real quick. No, nah, we're all, we're all good. Uh, that's, James, that's funny as shit, man. That should be Howie Roseman. That should be Howie Roseman's GM of the year award right there. Yeah, that should that should. Lock it up. He fleeced them so bad on that deal that he got the other guy fired. So you guys, when does Philly start doing the whole we don't want the buy discourse on WIP? You guys are like running out of things to talk about. They already, James, they already did the undefeated record is bad thing like five weeks ago. They were calling for a loss. You know, I've always felt like the New York media, like, yes, there can be tough moments. But the perception of it is kind of blown out of proportion. Philadelphia, you guys are hyenas down there. I mean, I I will never forget um, the year they hired Doug Peterson. It was twenty after twenty fifteen season. I'll never forget like they hired Doug, and then the, the Chiefs played that playoff game against the Patriots, and like they botched the end of the game. And then Doug has his press conference, and like the Eagles beat was more angry about the Chiefs botching the playoff game than the Kansas City media was. Yeah. And there was this whole thing about like, well, he never called plays and there was a rumor that he did call plays at the end and, and everything. And he was a part of that botching of it and stuff. And then there was a whole other thing that came out about potentially him having relations with an assistant in there. And that was that was fire for at least five, five uh, yeah. days. And people were like, oh, Andy Reid swindled us again and, and all that shit to get back at us for 2012 or whenever the hell they fired him. Yeah, it was uh it was it was wild. It was wild. But the same thing happened with Nick Sirianni. The guy stumbled through a freaking press conference and he was not he couldn't be a leader of men. He was a bumbling idiot. Now look at him. Got him We're wild. We're wild down here. It's, it's, it's funny. You know what's funny though, James? It's like I, I don't like Philly's got a lot of um like there are other like crossing broad type um approaches, mm-hmm. you know, people doing like the irreverent, you know, goofy barstool, you know, whatever kind of shit that we do, satire and whatnot. But like in New York, it, it's like it's um it's it's a pretty like traditional kind of media town. Like it hasn't really turned over yet. It's a lot of people doing like classic old school stuff. There's not like the pithy, you know, irreverent stuff that we do. I think a a big portion of it is it, well, it's a couple things. Like one, like obviously everyone is you have four teams, five teams. And, you know, you, you go, everyone is, and the Eagles, like, is so, I, like, or going, like, Eagles, Giants games, and, like, everybody in Philadelphia is in this press box. You know, it's like, you got a yeah. column about Carson Wentz footwork and the inquire the next day. Like, mm-hmm. you know, uh, my first thought was, like, who cares about Carson Wentz's footwork? 
But then my th- second thought is, well, you, you got nine columnists here. Like someone's got to write something, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, they did. They they did, James. Like at the height at, of the Inquirer, before the Inquirer started making all these changes, they had four Eagles writers. And then they had their four columnists down there too. So there were eight. They, the Inquirer had eight people at Eagles games. Damn, really? I mean, they were sending three guys down to practice in Cleveland. And I was like, what are we doing with three guys from the Inquirer at practice? Like, but you were talking about, like, you know, there's so much shit with the Eagles, man, that three guys can take that here with like the Yankees and the Mets. Like the Yankees are playing a big game. Like the post will have nine people in the clubhouse. (laughs) It's just an army. Um, I think it's we have multiple teams. I think part of it, too, is that like we had a, a culture where. For 20 years, the two most important people in the market were on the radio from 1 to 6.30. You know, like, and Mike and the Mad Dog, like, it was always joked, like, the only time they ever really featured, like, actual, like, journalists, reporters, col- you know, columnists on the show was when the Devils, like, went on Stanley Cup runs because they didn't know what to do with a hockey team in New Jersey. It was just, like, so, like, far flung for them. They're like, what? I guess we got to bring the columnist in, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that's a big thing too, is that like Mike and a mad dog kind of slowed the pace maybe of how like independent, like crossing broad ass voices would grow just because they were such a large megaphone. And even now Mike Francesa is basically semi-retired doing a podcast. And I would still say he is one of the more powerful voices in the market sure. than people who work for, you know, legacy media. Is it is it a respectable voice? Like, do you do you like do people like our age respect it? Because I think we're kind of at that crossroads right now with Angelo Cataldi. He's retiring. People like I know we don't respect it because we know it's just all a it's all an act. Uh, it's a guy from Rhode Island who's a who's a closet Yankees fan coming down here and just trying to really just conjure up negative negative you know thoughts anger to get calls and everything where a lot of the new guys are more nuanced and pragmatic and can see both sides of the aisle is is Francesa still kind of respected from from young to old I look I think there's a lot of people who like kind of listen to Mike like ironically okay. you know and like you know funhouse and every, you know his yeah. many missteps and everything but the thing about Mike and dog is they are who they are like there is no act with them. Like I, I have interviewed both on the phone, and it's literally like they're doing the radio show into the phone to you. Like okay. they are who they are, and I, so in that sense, yes, I think people respect. They might criticize them or think their takes are off base or they're, you know, kind of behind the times in many ways. But like they are very authentic. It's right? not a fake act. They're not. Yeah, like, they're not playing a character. They're not doing a per- persona. It's not yeah. like any kind. And there of- are times like. When Mike starts talking about the Giants, like he still has his fastball. When he talks about the Yankees, you know, and I think the the thing with Mike is there are moments where the New York sports fan, when a team stinks, like they want to embrace the outrage and the pain. And Mike is very good in those moments. Like when the Yankees crash out of the playoffs, he's going to give it to them. And that's what people want to hear. I think people could respect that more here because we've had, you know, since Angelo is leaving, he's done kind of like some not really a retirement tour, but he's gone on podcasts with other people and stuff. And you just you you just hear a completely 180 from what he is on the uh, on the radio. And he's likable. Like, that's the thing. He's a likable guy. He's a great interviewer. He's a great conversationalist. And you just like you want to shake him. And, you know, he's retiring. So who cares? But you want to shake him and you want to be like, just be like that. Just be like be this guy. But. You know. yeah, that version of Angelo could could have been a good replacement for like Ray Dinger with Glenn yeah. Macnow on the week. One thousand percent. Yeah, it's like the I wrote this one time that like I think Mike's role and he doesn't hunt into is like Mike's role needs to be like the Tom Brokaw like Tom Brokaw retired, but if like a president if something huge happens, NBC can bring Tom Brokaw in that provide gravitas to this moment. That's what I think ultimately Mike is becoming, you know, if he's like the, he's like the Brit Hume of New York media. Exactly. Like if, like Joe Torrey would have passed away, like you bring Mike in to eulogize him, you know, okay. or yeah. you know, something major happens, yeah. you know, 
No, Pagan. Brett Hume is the guy from Fox News who gave way to Brett Bayer. So they pull him in for like election night in America. Is Brett Bayer? Like, I don't, you got to understand who you're talking to, my man. We're not, I'm not on the local media like you are. Well, I don't want everybody to think I'm like some like MAGA or whatever. Not that it's not that there's anything wrong with that, but like, like, you know, you like, you become like an emeritus. Right. Yeah. It's like, oh, this guy was the guy back in the day. And now we bring him in for special yeah. occasions. Like because it's the infamous like Mike Francesa, like Tim Russer, drop dead comment on the air. Like NBC yeah. didn't go live and announce Tim Russert had died until they could get Tom Brokaw into the studio situated to break the news. Like yeah. that's what I think Mike could become. And I get the feeling that Angelo is never going to be that guy. You know, yeah, Angelo's going to go off to the sunset. I think that guy's so he, ready to be How done. he retires 15 years from now after winning three Super Bowls with the Eagles. Like, you're not going to call Angelo in to, like, provide gravitas and, like, set the scene. But Ray Didinger is that type of yeah, you know, Jim Gardner could do it for. I think Jim Gardner's going to be a big one. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, it's funny. People are, like, on diverging paths when they retire, you know? Yeah. James. I, I read your byline in not byline or whatever your bio on on the site. Were you actually like a Mike Francesa like quote unquote beat reporter like, or were you just the guy that they're like, hey, Francesa just did something? Yeah, I, I just I joke about that. Like, I kind of fell into that. Like, I you know I always loved listening to the fan. Grew up with Mike and Dong and everything, and even now, like people just want to know like the, the appetite for Mike Francesa content, whether it's ironic or unironic is immense not as great as it used to be but like and like there was a period of time at the fan like where you had carton before his you know arrest you had francesa versus francesa versus k was ridiculous like the, they were just throwing shit at each other. Was that mink coats? Was that like I, I I wear mink coats or something like that? Wasn't there a no, whole clip about like that? longevity paychecks ratings because like look mike Michael K's show has been on the air for 20 years and for like basically 18 of them, he, they have been demolished by WFAN. Like they, he did beat Mike one time, the last book of Mike's second retirement K in ESPN radio one outright. Um, Francesca was kind of mailing it in at the, at that point. But like before that, like the best was like the, the first couple months after Francesca came back, like, ESPN was doing like this voodoo math to claim they had won the ratings. So like, I don't know, Kincaid might have noticed. So you have like the terrestrial ratings number and the streaming radios num- number. Mm-hmm. WFA ESPN radio sells all their ads at the time nationally. So it was like one number. WFN would Odyssey, Intercom, whoever it was, would sell that on like terrestrial traditional ads and they would sell streaming ads separate. So the numbers would be broken up so espn would have a higher rating in the terrestrial number than fan did because all of their numbers were rolled into one where fan was just terrestrial but if you added the fan streaming number it would then go to be greater than the espn number so espn would claim they won yeah and then wfn would claim they won because they added two numbers but then even though radio professionals said you have to add the two numbers, ESPN would say that wasn't the case. And it, it, they would both claim victory. It was, yeah. it was going on during the Trump era. So it was just very, very funny. They don't do it like that anymore. But the, the term now is called TLR. It's called total line reporting. So yeah. before you used to split out terrestrial and used to split out the stream, right? And you could kind of, you know, parse those numbers however you wanted to, and you could twist them to say anything you want. But now they're basically most of the stations have TLR, which means you take those, both of those and you report them at the same time. But that was a big pain in the ass for crossing broad for the longest time because some stations would do it one way, other stations would do it the other way, right? If you had everybody on TLR, you'd all have the same number and you could go from there. And then we would just have to find like the, you know, like the afternoon show at the Fanatic is simulcast on NBC Sports Philadelphia. So if you can get that TV number, then you have the TLR number. And then you have the NBC number and then you could make like a you actually have like all of the data. Right. And that's why I got away from doing ratings on crossing broad, because number one, we just did not have all of the data. And when we would try to get it, Nielsen would be up our ass. Yeah, now, they, now they simulcast and shit. I really want to know what was your, what's your favorite Mike Francesa story? Oh, man. Got to have one. Well, I mean, he did rip me on the air. So that that was, you know, a highlight. Of What'd you life. do? So. It's all right. I'm trying to remember all the, the 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 hits here. So basically, 
when Mike came back from the after he retired the first time, he had the the Mike's on app, eight ninety nine mm-hmm. a month. Yep, cutting edge, revolutionized. You know, kind of yeah. it, it was it was great. Like he, I remember that, like when the Yankees played the Red Sox, I think it was like the twenty seventeen ALDS. Like he was doing like from his basement, like post game, like he was taking calls and like. Some guy called and said, "Hey, Mike, you know, do you think Brock Holt and Brock Lesnar, you know, work out together in the off season?" And like he would just flip out. That guy was great. So around that time, um, Maggie Gray ripped Jim Dolan on the air. So Jim Dolan like banned WFAN from like credentials at the Garden or like refused to put Nixon Rangers on the show. And like Maggie Gray had to apologize and everything. And like Mike obviously had a relationship with Jim Dolan. So Mike opens his show and it's like, it's just like reflecting on his life and his standing in the world and his relationship with Jim Dolan. And obviously he bumped Maggie Gray, Bart Scott and Chris Carlin out of afternoon drive by his return. And he made some comment to the effect of, I don't know if I can keep doing my radio show and my app forever. So like I wrote a post on NJ.com basically saying, it sounds like Mike's going to give up on the app. It's, I, I have it right here. Mike Francesa's ran on WFAN, WFAN. The Mike's on app is going nowhere. nowhere. But that was in quotations, not what you Quotation. said. Yes. What Mike said. So, so, then, so then Mike responded. So then like someone handed Mike my story on the air. So Mike just starts trashing me. I don't understand what I'm talking about. I'm too dense to understand his brilliance, blah, blah, blah. Um and like I, so I, I was like, I was covering Rutgers at the time. So like, I literally had like Rutgers, like coaches at Rutgers calling me. Are you okay? My phone is blowing up. Like, what's going on? Like, I was out recruiting. I'm dying in the car listening to this. Everything. So then, Mike does his rant. So like, I like, all right, fine. Like, I'll follow up. I'll like publish the rant. And then I believe Mike then called Neil Best at Newsday after the show because even his rant on the air hadn't clarified what was actually going on. Um, but then I got lucky because then, then Andrew Marshand at the post reported Ooh. like something about the app and Mike threatened Marshand. It was some, it was like, I believe Mike basically like, it was this bizarre thing where he basically told Marshand he needed to put like $250,000 in escrow to like interview him <laughs> and like Mike was claiming he was making millions of dollars. And he basically was like, well, I bet you like $500,000 that I'm right and you're wrong. And if you're wrong, you've got to donate to like kids for like toys for tots. It was insane. So like my day in the barrel was very short lived. Um, and I'm pretty sure the app like closed down within like three weeks. Jesus, Jesus. Yeah, it says right here, first of all, there's not a W fan app. It's Mike Francesca's. It's Mike on. And it goes on to say that, like, you know, Entercom was bidding for it and everything. Uh, but this is a great one. Okay, here we go. So this is a guy who doesn't get it from the beginning. His name is James Cratch. That's his name. I'll give him a little publicity. He's so dense, he doesn't have an idea what he's talking about. <laughs> oh, my God. It's amazing. I was pictured in his voice the whole time, too. I appreciated I him and Mad Dog. I appreciated their world knowledge, too. And I've interviewed Mike since then. Was perfectly pleasant, wonderful, yeah. gracious with his time. So, as I always say, like, I was just a character in the show for a day, and it was an honor. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I don't think I'll be having any discussions with Angelo. Um, now, maybe yeah. Seth Joyner. Maybe Seth Joyner. Maybe I, Seth I, and I can talk it over. Yeah. I, I would love – hey, listen, this is an open invitation. This is the last thing we'll say before we get out of here. Seth Joyner is more than welcome to come on this show. I think it would be actually do Seth Joyner a service to come on this show because I think people are starting to kind of go the other way around here that he is an absolute Mm -hmm. clown recently when he says that he's done with Jonathan Gannon, the 11 and one Eagles and the defense that's a top 10 in almost every major game. We'll extend. Yeah. We'll extend the olive branch to Seth. He's more than welcome to come on. We're not going to like go after him or whatever. This this is a, this is a safe space for, pragmatic football talk i'll explain mm-hmm. uh, that the eagles have like the number two defense in the league so they don't really have to get 10 percent better like they're already pretty good but it'll be it'll be uh cordial mm-hmm. about that yeah right now the the gene the, the uh seth joiner versus versus kevin kincaid is probably the best rivalry in philadelphia sports yeah well to be fair it's seth joiner versus everybody now because he just got killed by everybody the other day you know i wasn't i was the one who kind of got pissed off first you know and you know 
ripped him for it. But yeah, I mean, everybody was just even WIP wrote about it yesterday, you know, so. James, before we let you go, thank you for all your time and everything. Quick prediction for Giants, Eagles. Giants are getting six and a half. Do it with the spread. Uh, I will go Eagles 31, Giants 17. Okay. All right. We're covering. I like that. That's actually probably a pretty good prediction. I mean, look, they shut down Barkley. The Giants have no weapons. They yeah. Schemes a couple of scores, but yeah, the yeah. Giants are just, they're, they're not in that Eagles class. Well, go to EliteSportsNY.com to read more about James and all that. That was a great prediction because I do agree that Jonathan Gannon's really good at stopping bad quarterbacks and uh, stopping elite runners, as he's shown in the last couple of weeks. But, James, thanks so much, man, for coming on. Um, go read EliteSportsNY.com. Where can people follow you? Uh, at James Cratch on Twitter, at EliteSportsNY on Twitter. Um, Matt Musico also works with me. Find him on Twitter as well. And, uh, yeah, we're just hoping taking off. Trying to follow in CB's footsteps. <laughs> oh, Onward man. and upward. Yeah, you yep. guys are doing great over there. As they say. Yeah. Thanks, right. man. Thanks, bud. Yeah, guys. Thank you. Thanks. Talk to you. All right. That is the broadcast for today. Thank you to Craig, who fell asleep in the background on the ones and twos. We saw that, Craig. We have a picture. Um, Kevin, thank you for coming on. Um, sure. And uh, Bob Wankel, thank you for coming on. We will talk to you on Thursday. <laughs>